0: Enjoy the episode. Excited to, to the year, its, excited to welcome Randolph-Macon head coach Josh Merkel to the basketball podcast. This past year, Randolph-Macon won its first national championship with the largest margin of victory in NCAA Division III history. The team won a program best 33 games and caps a remarkable run of success for the program during Merkel's time there. Merkel has made four trips to the NCAA tourney and has the most NCAA wins in program history. He has been ODAC Coach of the Year five times and was named the Glenn Robinson National Coach of the Year the past two seasons. Coach Merkel, welcome to the podcast. Great to be on here, Chris. Really excited to talk with you. Well, me as well. Coming off of a national championship, uh, obviously a great run, but uh, just sustained success over the years as well at uh, Randolph-Macon and prior to that at Salisbury. So maybe give us an idea of what pushed you guys over the top you felt this year compared to some of the last few years where you also had an opportunity to be able to compete for a national championship.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think um, what pushed us over, well, we had an opportunity to finish the season that we didn't get to the last couple of years. Um, Always helpful. And and I I think you do have to go back. I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't start with the players, the coaches before us, you know, to be just the fifth coach since 56, and maybe we'll get into that. Um, But then just the continuity of great players that also have been committed to the team and have been about development. Um it has really kind of laid a foundation for our guys to step into see the standards, and uh, i I can't understate that because that's helped me be better at my job. and then, um just I mean, this team was great, so maybe some of the grit and resilience that um, the pain of not being able to finish a season might have lit something in our veterans. You know we had two fifth year guys and then two four year seniors, uh, a couple of juniors in that group. so a veteran group with only one freshman in our top 10. And that's always something that that you kind of look at when you're talking about a veteran group, but just driven and connected and didn't want to let our older guys down. And, and so that connection, I, I do think uh it laid a lot. We we were hungry as well. Uh, I know that's probably a long answer, but we 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 played with a chip. We never thought too highly of ourselves. We still don't. And I, I do think that fueled us and, and gave us a chance. And I think it's reflected in our in our record in our approach.
0: Well, it's great stuff, great run and uh I had a chance to go back and watch some of the clips of the game and uh it was never in doubt and that's kind of unique for that type of game, isn't it?
1: Well, you say never in doubt. I don't know. <laughs> the game was uh and I'm going to talk to coach Baines shortly because they're way better than that final score. Of course. And so it's um it's one of those things I think we got up and then got rolling and they um they played a little bit later the night before. And maybe not as deep, too. So all those things get factored in. I think if we had played them the night before, very different game. So um, I don't know about never in doubt. It, it probably looked like that when you look at the final score. Um, I do think our guys were, um, were locked in. Um, and not just for that day. I, I just don't think you have the, the sustained success like you talked about without being a group that's hungry and focused and, and has the attention to detail. And, you know, we, we didn't do a shoot around at the gym because we hadn't done it all year when we do these two-game tournaments. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, some guys were asking me about that. And, and even our own players, like, I, I asked them about it. Hey, do you guys want to go? And one of them was like, yeah, we should go. I was like, you know, we haven't done it all year. And he was like, oh, yeah, we shouldn't go. It's like player, <laughs> for for player the same. I didn't remember. But my point is um, this group had great confidence in our approach, how we did things, that there was a high level of belief in each other and in our approach. And um, so that 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 showed up, I think, in that title game, especially.
0: Absolutely. And we're gonna talk a lot about your approach and uh, some unique things. And one of the quotes I heard you say, and I'd love for you to comment on this, we'll start with, I I think one of my favorite takeaways from something I heard you say, and that's, every player doesn't shoot the same. So why should every player close out the same? Mm -hmm. And I just want you to talk about that, because I think that's like, I love the phrasing of how you said that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, I've been really fortunate. I've, I've had some unbelievable mentors and defensive minded coaches. And, um, you know, I was taught like, this is how you close out. This is, you know, high hand, chop, chop, um, or, you know, big step, short step. And all of that is good and, and necessary for that baseline for that youth athlete. And then the more that I played, you know, some of it is just, you just got to figure it out. You have to find a way. I mean, at my closeout is going to be different than a six-seven guy. Um, a, a quick guy should have a different closeout than a slower guy. But you do have to find a way you can't, and, you know, we say you can't BS it or you can't BS yourself. So I had to learn the hard way because I'm trying to, you know, get our six, seven big guy to, to close out the same way we would have everybody close out. And I don't know if it was an aha moment. I, it might have been who knows where it came from. But the idea was, how do I help you? So I have this really good offensive player that is struggling defense, but he, he wants it. He's putting in the reps. He's watching the film. He's being coachable. He's doing everything that you ask a guy to do. And yet we're not having this breakthrough. And so by junior year, it was, um, you know, now that we've got this foundation and, and we've been working at it. It was like, hey, I, I know this is on me somewhere along the line. I need to help you support you better. What can I do for us to partner to get to do this thing better? And um, that's that's where it stemmed from. So we we no longer have a one size fits all approach in closeouts and especially
0: in defense? Well, it it accounts for individual differences, which obviously you're big on. But the other part that uh, I think I wanna just shape for coaches is this understanding that you can start it from all teaching the same structure for everyone and then adapting for individual players from there. And that's kind of what you're referring to is that initially we can teach it all the same, but then we have to adjust and players have to adjust. And how often do they do that without us intentionally telling them to anyways?
1: So, so true. And we talk about taking ownership. So, you know, like, you, like, the more that they can kind of study themselves, think about it themselves, the more growth is going to happen. Um, and it's almost like, you know, we've heard coaches say all the time, and you're not gonna hear anything original for me. But if I want you to be a better defender than you want to be, then we're going to be butting heads all season, and getting those guys to really own it. Uh, one of my favorite moments from this season, Chris was uh, we watch film, guys know that Buzz Anthony our, our point guard, all American player of the year. Is a really great defender and in a lot of different ways. And he's so committed at that end. Well, one of my favorite moments was we come down from the film and it's a day after a game. So we have this player led block of uh, eight to 10 minutes. And it was two guys going to buzz and just, you know, peppering him with questions. And he's just breaking it down and it has nothing to do with the coaches. And there was a lot of that going on over
0: the five years of his career. But, but that, that memory sticks in my mind. That's great. Tell us more about this player-led block because, again, I love that term player-led. I use it a lot. Can you explain what that means within your program?
1: Well, Chris, I got to give you a ton of credit. I mean, I've been listening to you and your podcast. I think you're a wizard with your curiosity, your questions. Uh, You make us coaches sound better than we are, um, and and I'm going to need that today. But I'm (laughs) sure it came somewhere along the line from you. I mean, even the basketball decision-based training, the small-sided games, the self-awareness. So, We'll get into that and, and i'm not blowing smoke but I, i've become a runner over the the explosion of this podcast era and it's like i've stacked those two things and have got to, to hear a ton of great guests but also you really summarize things well and uh and you add some value to anything coaches are saying so that being said i, I really think it comes back to um just yeah you and your approach And just we got to allow players to figure things out. Enable others to act is a a leadership language that we use in our program. And that's about letting guys fail, about letting guys teach. We always say the teacher is the best student because they now have to voice us. So we've put guys in opportunities. um, Buzz, for instance, now he'd do it anyway. But I've empowered some guys here recently. We have a a more quiet guy, Miles Mallory, whose basketball IQ is off the charts. But he has to be forced. You have to say, all right, Miles. Tell us how you guard the ball spring. Tell us your thought process. And it's awesome because he's a big. I was never a big, and he has a high level, and he can actually. T- but he'd never say it if you didn't ask him or empower him. And I think that's how a lot of kids are: is um, they don't they're, they don't have the confidence to just say, "Hey, this is how I do it." Um, you know,
0: they don't they don't believe in themselves enough. So, anyways, that's uh, that that's where all that stems from. So your players are uh, a huge resource, and you're using it. So, like more specifically then what does this block look like is this a period of practice on the court is it's in the film room when do these blocks happen that you empower your players to lead so it's it's a couple different places
1: um let's say we play because we play Wednesdays, saturdays Mm -hmm. and so we play a game wednesday high minute guys on that thursday we'll watch the film as a team we go down we'll play an all-star game which is probably a cool thing to talk about as well and um we'll cover you know, Thursday, we're going to go over, we're going to close some gaps, we're going to fix some things. But we're not going to play full court, we're not going to, we're not even going to compete on that Thursday, we're going to save that for Friday, and then the game Saturday. But what we will do is, while there's an all star game going on, there will be this player led, like I said, eight to 10 minutes, it basically it's called closed gaps. Now you can shoot during that time, you can get with a coach during that time. And I would say there's about six to seven to eight guys that are high minute guys doing that on one half of the court. And we have three hoops over on that side. And then we'll have an all-star game with the remaining players and maybe some coaches. Uh, and that's a three on three kind of identity based. Uh, we're going to play to five by twos and threes. Maybe we're going to play to four, like, but just really focus on value of every possession within those all-star games and help those guys develop because we, we need those guys down the road. I think it does a great job building confidence throughout the season for those guys that don't get as many minutes or reps
0: in games. I love that. That's great stuff. So the all-star game concept is to get those players that don't get as many game reps, more reps within the practice period.
1: Absolutely. And, and, you know, and this might be something again that that you've talked about, but the Navy SEALs in the after action review. So AAR, and we're huge on this, but all-star games are awesome because now, so let's say it's the six guys that didn't play last night. And after, after every, so we usually 25 to 45 minutes, we're going to play and coaches jump in too. So Chris, I'm dreading the day. I won't be able to jump in there with them, but I'm, I'm still jumping in there and I'm learning a lot from being in there, which I, I know I'm going to miss when I can't jump in there. Um, so the, the, we'll have these huddles and we'll say, Hey, you know, it's, it's about two things, celebrate someone, but also, you know, tell us one thing you need to work on or tell us an observation. Like what, what did you notice today? You know, and just we're we're helping guys really uh, self reflect, which I don't think they do enough. You know, who was the best player today? Well, you might get six different answers. Mm -hmm. All right, let us tell you who we think was. All right, doesn't mean it's right, but you know, there's going to be a disconnect if six of you think you were the best player um, when clearly one guy was the best player. Um, So, you know, I think we can help guide some guys and how they see the game with those huddles, and we do we do a ton of that. And I know you're big on that, is, is that, that opportunity for reflection. I mean, it's not. It's like you make a mistake. If you don't reflect on the mistake, it doesn't mean you're going to fix the mistake. Making the mistake is not going to fix it. And You can apply this to life and to basketball, but it's that reflection uh, that's really going to help bring the awareness so you don't do it again. And we apply that to the court a lot. And so we're big on those huddles and making guys talk and be accountable
0: so that we can have a really vocal team. I love this, and uh, you know, there's two things that uh, shine through from reading stuff about you and hearing you talk, and that's this concept of building connection, and then the leadership journey, uh, which you shared with me. So these two things, ref- are, well, those things you shared reflect those things that part of you interacting with your players and these reviews, or even jumping in and playing, is about building connection, isn't it?
1: Yes, I mean everything is about connect. I love that word. It's a it's a core value for us. Um, You've got to be connected to do anything at a high level, to do anything special, and it makes it more memorable and fun. Um, And and that's the other thing, too. So it's not just what we do, but it's going to be how we do it. Um, And so, you know, in the recruiting process, we're looking for our kind of guys, but our kind of guys are going to be self-aware, great teammates. Now, everybody says it, but, you know, I've been, you know, I haven't been perfect in this regard. We all get seduced by talent. We take a guy. um, You know, we try to define those things about what a great teammate looks like because, There's some great people, high character guys that will still get caught up in how many points they scored, how many shots they took. And so really trying to get down to it, um, because if you're if you're too worried about you, then it's going to be hard to be connected. You know, Tony Bennett does a great job talking about humility and what it is. And it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking more about others. And that's really what we're trying to trying to bring those guys in and then um, and then bring it out of them.
0: The other part that Sean threw is, uh, and, and this is one of your players reflecting this about your program and about you, was in an article, they talked about the fact that you're in the weight room and you're lifting too. And we all talk about modeling behavior, but actually your players being able to notice that and pointing that out as a strength is, is again, that's a superpower that your program has built that understanding that we're all in this together and we're going to model the same behavior.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, uh, <laughs> now, if you look at my frame, you'd say, is he really lifting <laughs> three days a week? Um, but I love being in there. I mean, Coach Rhodes talks about it a lot. You know, sweat with the guys. Coach Rhodes at VCU, but was Randolph making head coach for ten years? Mentor of mine. Um, but sweat with your guys. Build that sweat equity. Um, they, then they know that you are in it with them. Uh, same thing with my staff. I mean, when I'm hiring, you know, you you can't turn it on and off. I, I'm going to expect you to to be a part of those workouts um, because it adds value to our group and, and also to yourself. So that's a big thing for us. And really, when they're done playing. I want these guys. I, I want um exercise, you know, because we all know what it does for us mentally. Um I want it to be a part of their life. I want it to be a part for their kids' lives down the road. And how many athletes do we know that they put that they, they jammed it in, they crammed four years was uh, was beat beat them down to the point where they don't want to pick up a basketball. They don't want to go run, and there's too much joy and too much fun in that. and uh, that that's what I want. I mean want my guys, you know, working out for the next forty years, it has been modeled for me. I mean, even, non-basketball coaches i think back to salisbury jim berkman has won 14 national championships in lacrosse that guy is doing a noon workout every day into his 50s um and and it's inspired. you know like when you
0: ask about it that comes to my mind you know has stuck with me to this day that's fun stuff and uh talk to me about truth over harmony and that philosophy
1: oh i love it i mean uh can't even exactly say where I got it. You know, we read a lot and we're, we're constantly consuming info. Um, but I love to start meetings with, do, do you want truth or do you want harmony? Now, every player, when you frame it like that, says truth. You know, um, the famous line of you, you can't handle the truth. They do want it, but they can't always handle it. But we're giving them opportunities to practice it um, and to gain it. And I, and I want the truth from them. You know, I don't want us to be in harmony. Uh, and I think it's something that you can cultivate in your program when you talk about it a lot. Uh, it empowers guys, your older guys, to speak truth into young guys about their habits and their work ethic and their work rate. Um, you know, and maybe how they're handling themselves off the court, whether it's nutrition or treatments. Um, so it's, it's everything in our, in our meetings, truth over harmony. I, I'm going to tell you the truth. Now, it may, it's going to be my truth. You might have your own version of your truth. I want to hear that too. But um, I, I think it's everything. There, there's another line that says you can't have trust. Let me see if I can get this right. Um, there's no trust without truth. And there's no truth without trust. Like if, if you and I don't trust
0: each other, then the truth doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's a lot to be said for that. I love it. And I love the fact that uh, even by asking that question, do you want the truth or harmony? You make it seem like their idea. And that's a huge part of leadership as a leader is to make it seem like it's their idea to get the truth. And then to be honest, like now it's their accountability to it. Yeah.
1: And Chris, I want them to push back on it. Like Mm -hmm. I'm fine. Like I'm I'm very, um, it's not like I'm some wise sage that has all the answers. And I make sure I tell them this all the time, that this is a partnership. You can push back. But I might use the film and I might use the numbers and uh, these things don't lie. And I'm going to use the history and I'm going to use our past standards of
0: players that have done it at a high level. And so we have models for what it should look like. Another phrasing I heard you say was mistake response, that that was such an important part of building this team to this point is teaching them how to respond to mistakes and their mistake response. Can you explain that a little bit more?
1: Yeah, I think I took it right from Villanova and Jay Wright's great book, Attitude. Um, So we took that value. So we had, when I was making it first, we had three core values and uh, connect, commit, compete, all right? About the three Cs and, you know, everybody has theirs. But after a year, I believe it was year three, um, we lost as the one seed. We won the league and we had won the league the year before and we lose in the first round of the ODAC. Chris, this is the third time, you know, the ODAC tournament is a neutral site in Salem. They do a great job. Um, one of the few, I think, neutral sites in Division three, most people go to the home seat. So here we are we we, we win the league um, in year two and we lose in the first round. We do the same thing in year three, and we lose in the first round. So in my first three years at, at Macon, uh, at a place where they had just been to the tournament seven straight years, at a place where their seven most wins in Division three, we have not won a single conference playoff game. and um you know, that was tough. That was painful. Um, it made me question everything that that I was doing. Um, maybe maybe really look in the mirror. And we needed the mistake response. I think one thing that was hurting us is we weren't handling adversity the right way. Everything going into year four was about attitude, mistake response, starting with sprints, you know, a false start meant everybody ran. And I don't know, it's become now um, something that we've done the last four years. and, And, you know, just like Villanova, we got guys saying attitude on the bench. And, um, You know, it's just a word unless you bring it to life. And I feel like our guys have really helped bring it to life.
0: Hey, coach, I just want to let you know Basketball Immersion is proud to partner with Just Play. I had the chance to spend some time with Just Play in New Orleans at the Final Four, and I was blown away by the next level simplicity and effectiveness of this all-in-one solution for coaches to prepare faster and connect with today's players. Just Play provides an elite experience for coaches to better teach, scout, and recruit on one platform. Just Play integrates with any video editing solution to streamline how you prepare and engage your players. Sign up for a free demo www.justplaysolutions.com forward ball immersion It sounds like they have, and uh, it's great phrasing, and I, I know I'm, a, I'm big on feet first. Everything starts from footwork, everything starts from your feet, and I know that this is reflected in what you do. And how you approach so many things within your program so can you take us to an understanding of the value of starts and stops and the basic fundamentals within your program
1: yeah and chris i was just listening to you talk to brandon payne this morning and i Mm -hmm. sent it to our guys he was unbelievable talking about vertical right the one two and and being a a vertical jumper and um, man that guy's high level so people need to go back and listen to that one but for us Now, Starts and Stops, I think, is a Doug Novak thing. And I know that's another uh, guy of yours that, um, you know, I studied Doug three, four years ago, and uh, he was so gracious and spending some time. But he he had such a great resource when you went to his website. And I mean, I dove in. I printed everything and read up on everything and studied everything about um, him and his program. And I I do think Starts and Stops came from that, came from him writing it on a napkin. It became a language. Um, Beeline, who I work for at West Virginia, is his GA was a master at language, creating names that stuck with you. Um, and, and I'll get back to your, to your question, but basically language, if I go to another country and don't speak the language, I can't do things very fast or efficient. And same thing in our program. Until you can speak the language, you're going to be a little slower, a little less efficient, a little less confident. When you have the language, though, and this can apply to our leadership language in addition to offense and defensive terms, um, but, man, you can move fast. You, you can get things done at an efficient level. And so starts and stops is, is what that comes down to. So now it's a simple when you're watching the film. Hey, this is a start problem. All right. Hey, this is a stop problem. Now, you still got to back it up and, and figure out how you do that. Um, Beeline was great with turnover prevention. Um, we're big on don't beat ourselves. You know, Bill Belichick says the first thing first is don't beat yourself. And so I think we we do that first. It does take away from some guys' ability, I don't know, to fly in there off one foot and maybe get a tough basket here and there. But I think the risk of that versus the return that you get, you add some different tools to their toolbox that makes them an even better player. And they can still go off one. I say if you can go dunk it off one, you do it every time. Um, but that's kind of what that starts and stops mean is we have to be able to do both of those without mistake 99% of the time. Um, and, and so you got to break it down. You might have to slow yourself down. You may not get by guys all the time now, um, but then you got to figure out how to, without beating yourself, then go beat people making those plays. Hopefully that uh, gives gives listeners enough right there.
0: Yeah. Don't beat yourself. Uh, obviously, a lot of coaches say it. Uh, your program is obviously reflecting it in the numbers, but also in how you approach it. So can you give us an example? And I think one of the examples you said to me was the mouse game.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love of the mouse game. Again, stealing from Villanova and guys that do it at a high level. Um, you know, the whole mouse in the house when you're playing against somebody shorter and it, just posting your guards, you know, flipping the hips. So it could be a live dribble. I think some people call it the Barkley where you flip yep. the hips and you back that guy down like you're playing in the playground. Um, so that almost is more effective, Chris, than the actual post up because you know you can have some turnovers with the post entry and trying to run something with the right timing. Um, but basically any anytime that we can flip the hips and, and get the ball down there and let those guys go score or create, um, you know, we got such good passers at the guard position. Those guys are also strong. And um, it's a great way to play. You know, the game slows down when you're playing with your back to the basket and you get that ball to the block. And it's a great way to help to slow things down while getting a high percentage shot, maybe getting fouled or getting an inside out look. So that's that's what the mouse is.
0: Um, and it's just another form of stopping, you know, other than landing on two. Right. And and so some people talk about, and Doug Novak obviously talks about that uh the Barkley is a protection plan, like you turn a drive into a post-up because the drive got stopped. But in some ways, too, what you're saying is this is intentional because we're attacking a matchup with it.
1: Yes, for sure. Attacking a matchup, um, certain guys, you know, within the league that um they're just not used to guarding it. Um, maybe we have a strength advantage, so not even height, but you Know Buzz was 180 uh, at the point guard position, so he was physically could overpower some guys down there and uh, draw some fouls or make some good plays. And um, I don't know, it's been great for us. So we have one guy that's developed so for his mouse, he's developed like a fadeaway, which um, he would have never thought he would add that to his game coming out of high school. So it's been really cool to see. Then we had another point guard a couple years ago, his mouse game was like he was just really good faking, could get you up and under, step through never faded away um so i think it can again going back to individual freedom and choice guys can find their
0: way and we can have completely different mouse game or mouse finishes for certain guys yeah and they're all different and that's the fun of coaching isn't it part of that is uh, figuring out what can work for a certain player and they the cookie cutter method does not work yeah. uh, generally beyond that initial structure that you give them. So talk to us a little bit more about the, st- uh, the two foot playing off two foot, how you develop those habits from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Cause I know one thing that seems to shine through is that you develop them somewhat through drill base, but the main emphasis becomes in small sided games and different types of constraints that you give them. Right. Yeah.
1: yeah, um, and we've stolen from PGC in that regard, uh, with some of the three on three kickout game, which is, um, you know, I'll start with the constraint. And basically, it's like you can, uh, if you go off one foot, even if you score, it's no good. You know, everything has to be a two foot finish or a kick out, you know, inside out shot. Um, And they can't dribble in for a floater. So, what it does, let's say you and I and someone else, uh, Buzz Anthony is playing on our team. It's me, you, me, you, and Buzz. And you and I, we can't get ignition. We can't get by our guy, but you and I are great shooters. Well, now we need to figure out how can we create some separation from our defender? How do we plan our foot? How do we time it with the ball seeing us um, and let Buzz do all the ignition? because what's interesting is if you if we were to take some high school guys, three high school guys, all three of them would be trying to drive, and so two dribbles and getting stopped and not realizing that they just killed the flow and killed the offense. and so I think understanding guys' strengths, not just Buzz understand it, but you and I understand that's why we do a lot of the small sided because it changes depending on who your teammates are um, and Buzz might realize. All right, Chris and Josh can't get open against their defenders. I've got to go off two, no matter what. Work on my mouse game. Work on, or we're not going to score to win this game. So there's a lot of uh, feedback. I think that you can get within that. And then let's back it up to great, uh, great story. Buzz freshman year, um, and he was a starter, and he uh, was has been a really good player, great player for us. Um, and signed with Asia, going to go play overseas. Just super excited about his journey here. Um, and, but he asked me somewhere in between middle of our freshman, his freshman year, he says, Coach, um, well, why can't I go off one foot? Like, well, or when can I go off one foot? I'm like, you go up and dunk it. You can go off one foot anytime you want. If you can go score 99%, you know, if you're going to make a 99% layup, 100% layup, then go off one foot. I got no problem. But what we're doing is adding a tool to your toolbox for any situation. Let's say we don't have a 610 shot blocker. All right. We don't have one in practice for you to ever simulate, but we're going to play against some high level defenses. And if we haven't prepared you for it before, if we if we just wait until the crisis hits, we're going to lose that game. And so it's all, it's all about kind of training for beating the best teams in your league or training to win the big one, which is going to take adding tools to the toolbox, which is going to take you can't just fly in there off one feet. You know, think about how often those get blocked, how often those get missed. We call them air ball layups if they don't touch the rim, and how that fuels the other team's offense. And I will say, if if we do any one thing well. It's not allowing teams to get going in transition, get easy ones. A lot of it has to do with our shot selection, which as
0: coaches, we all know. Great stuff. Just just circling back through and three kickout. So they must shoot off two, two feet in the paint or it's a kickout three. That's that's the general scoring it, system. Exactly.
1: Um, well, you could say kickout two, okay. but, um, but, but as long as they're not dribbling before. Um, so they can make a cut and, and pull up. But it's basically if it's a live dribble, then you've got to get all the way into the paint. And so guys start to realize, too, man, I got to really go for it. This was my chance. I think it empowers people. Too many kids play fearful, don't want to make a mistake. It can be empowering, too. Like, I don't know if, if you're listening to this and you feel like, well, you know, now they're afraid. Of it. And no, it's in, in, in a lot of ways. The constraints say if you put it on the floor, you do need to beat your guy. So go for it. Um, now, we'll give you the feedback. Hey, maybe this isn't the matchup for you to do it against. Or only you, Chris, should be going on a closeout. You shouldn't be doing it if that guy's already, you know, in a stance. Um, I think that's where guys really can learn a lot um, from different matchups. And so I think I gave you most of that drill, three-on-three three kick it. Yeah, I mean, it's
0: pretty simple. Just And you yeah. blow the whistle for those points of emphasis, and it's, you treat it like a turnover. I like the term ignition. So, so the igniter is the person trying to create the advantage? Is that, is yeah, that what you're phrasing? Is
1: anything that can light that spark to get you shoulders by,
0: get that second defender to come over or get you in the, in the paint. And then to work on ignition, I, I'm not sure if you still do this, but I saw at one point you talked about playing a lot of one-on-one after practice.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love one-on-one. I remember Paul Pierce saying how his Boston Celtics team, like how much those guys would play one-on-one. Um, that, that may not be the best thing for ignition, but it's the best thing for figuring out how to keep the ball in front, make guys make tough ones over. And also, what is your go-to move? Like Buzz loves to ask even recruits this question. He'll say, "Chris, what um, million dollars game is on the line? Your ball, top of the key. What move do you go to?" And it's really funny. You hear a high school guy. do You hear a pro answer that. They will tell you exactly what they're getting to. All right. You hear a high school kid answer that, and even some of our college guys. Oh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go right. I'm gonna go left. I'm gonna like they've got three, four different ways. And it's like, no, you, your go to is like your actual one move that you can do against anybody. And, um, you know, they'll say, well, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go right and pull up. You're going to do that against a six, five guy, five inches taller. You're probably not getting that off. So, you know, it's a fun question, but through one-on-one, those guys really figure out how they can get it off against different level defender and, and height.
0: I love that question. That's great. And, uh, you, you talked about this before too, the power of the question. Uh, I know you're similar, like-minded, you're curious, you ask a lot of good questions, uh, but there's also a danger in asking too many questions, isn't there?
1: <laughs> there absolutely is and and I've you know I I I I'm on that line all the time um me too I would say <laughs> I, I would say some of the best advice I got Chris a couple of years ago um a friend of mine said I don't read during the season I'm a huge reader I mean I love getting two books a month and I there I am but it it would pull me away sometimes you know there's that great idea it's hard to say no to and so I've gotten away from in season. I may read one book now, so five months for one book, and it's usually something more enjoyable than um, you know what I'm getting from. Like I just finished a Malcolm Gladwell book, talking to strangers. I'm not reading that one during the season, so I think it decreasing the inputs can be huge. And and even from a um, whether that's uh, I haven't really limited the podcast because I love listening to that on the run, but I will say I've limited what I would implement. Um, because my mind can get racing. It's like today, I'm listening to your podcast. I send it to our team. Hey, you guys could take something from this. They get a lot of those things. Um, But I do think you have to have some conviction in what you do while always being one step ahead of the posse. Um, You know, you read so much about how people get stagnant and they do what they've always done. I think that's good as long as it's the non-negotiables. But you do have to be, you have to look at being one step ahead of, because if we keep doing what we're doing, teams are eventually going to figure it out.
0: Uh, and you also mentioned, uh, obviously, John Beeline, the influence. You can talk to that a little bit, but you gave us uh, kind of an example, but can you go more specifically with giving us a language example? Because I know specificity of language for him is so important.
1: Yeah. I mean, man, his, uh, whether it was the two guard language, um, giving players terms. Um, so let's take the one, three, one, but you know, it was a piranha down at the bottom you know, a guy, just a pit bull that was going to be everywhere. And then when when the ball got to you, you, he was going to be all over you, eating it up um, kind of thing. So I think visuals. um, And and I know um, some people have done some studies around the visual sticks with the guy. So, you know, giving like hunting the paint for us. And I just heard paintball for the first time listening to Andy today from Ferris State. I'm going to steal that one, but getting paint on your feet. So getting those visuals to guys, I think is a language that that can really be helpful. Like, like we're big on quotes too. And I think mantras, like a lot of teams are, um, you mentioned the truth over harmony pays to be a winner. Um, I think those things are true and people repeat them because they can be helpful. Um, for instance, leadership language, it's model the way it's inspire shared vision. It's challenge the process, enable others to act, encourage the heart. Now, our guys may not memorize it, but when you put it up on the board that They'll come back to, oh, yeah, I remember that. And I, I, I know what this looks like. Um, and here's an opportunity to challenge the process that we need to do. So I think when you have that language and you can define some things, even in leadership, it can help you really um, take off.
0: So and you do this, obviously, even reflecting back on you calling it the all-star game. It's not three on three scrub time. It's the all-star game. And it phrases it completely differently for them, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. And that's another, you know, beeline example too. So that, you know, that guy is just a legend and a hall of famer and and so fortunate to work with him, learn from him. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's the all-star game. And there was one, um, man, something just came in and out of my, of my, uh, thought space there, but, oh, the studs, you know, we don't call it a scout team. I mean, those guys impact winning in a major way for us. So we're going to call that scout team Like we just call them the studs and on any given day, there's going to be a couple of guys there that are going to get minutes for us in the the game that week too. So um, just trying to help them understand how much value they're adding. And they do need to
0: be reminded. Great stuff. Talk to us quickly about um, coaching with constraints, because again, just the fact that you're using that language and coaches more and more are using that language and understanding it. Because I think, again, going back generations, coaches use constraints. They just simply didn't necessarily add the evidence base beside it. So can you talk to that?
1: Yeah, Chris. And Chris, you know this. It's as much for me or coach the coach as it is for the players. I mean, it's amazing. Um, I know I, I heard um, you know one coach could see everything. You know, um, Hall of Famer that saw all twenty things. I'm not that good. I'm not catching it all. And we have to be careful. You know, good is the enemy of great. You want to be great at a few things. The whole hedgehog concept. I think that's what constraints do. It allows you to narrow in and focus on one or two things that you're doing within that drill, because there's a hundred things going on. So for instance, we could take, there's two drills that really come to mind that I could use as an example. One of them is going to be three-on-three continuous. And we're going to do it for two minutes. But they're early in the season, if we give up, you know, so three-on-three, if we give up a transition layup where we don't make somebody shoot over body, then we'll start the clock over, like, because we haven't done it at a high level. So I think the constraint right there is if if we if we really mess up and mess up a non-negotiable, then we have to start it over. And by the end of the year, and the other constraint is, this is for me, for two minutes on the clock, I'm not going to stop it when we're doing this at a high level. I'm just not going to stop it. So it's a constraint that helps me let these guys just play, get a bunch of feedback, go to their huddles. If it was good, we'll move on. If not, we're going to do this thing again. You know, We may do three early in the year of those two-minute games and then cut it back to where probably the last month of the season, we'd maybe do one of those day before a game. And it it might be the only full court segment that we did, but they're getting that full speed sprint, that transition defense talk, a big guarding a guard. Um, It allows us to do some things. You can obviously do it with five on five. Um, I don't know, I could go to the other one, two on two appropriate, but but maybe that's enough. In terms of that,
0: well, it gives. I, I mean, we might go there, and I want to go there, but um, it just gives us an initial idea of what you're talking about with coaching with constraints. And really, for all of us to think about it, it's a way to be able to coach them while they play the game in a more efficient manner. And I love that you drew the parallel for you too. <laughs> it's yeah, well, not just for the players.
1: Yeah, and I mean, our level shoot. It's for six months or maybe five months. I do not get to coach them, so then I get rusty and I lose a little bit of feel, and um, I'm never at my best until the end of the year. And, uh, well, I, I hopefully I'm at my best at the end of the year when, when we've partnered well with our guys and, uh, but early on, man, it's shaking off the rust. It's, I need reps too. You know, I'd love to turn it over. I know a lot of guys turn it over their assistants. Um, you know, everybody coach a team, but I always tell my guys, guys, I got to coach a team because I haven't gotten any reps in the last five months. I'm rusty. I'm not efficient. I'm over-talking. So I, I need those reps too. And, um, yeah, to your point about, uh, constraints. And I would say you can use different constraints. So there's an within that same drill, three on three continuous, you know, the constraint might be I'm gonna stop it on every defensive crime. And we're gonna stop it at the scene of the crime. I don't know if I got this directly from you or not. I can't, remember. I don't remember where you steal it, but you stop it at the scene of the crime. So we always keep score. So it might be white scored two. Well, we're white's gonna get the ball back. They got a chance to go double up now, score it again, but go to the scene of the crime and uh, let's coach it let's fix it right then and there which should be easy and
0: then now that now something else could show up so i love that i mean scene of the crime that's cool i I don't call it that i call it hold recreate and then you obviously recreate the situation coach it in the context and then as you said carry on i love that part of it too which is what coaches don't understand then you can carry on um and it's short bursts of information uh awesome stuff coach um one thing uh, you, I want you to go, let's go back to the two-on-two first, because then I want to talk about something else. So explain that two-on-two.
1: Yeah, yeah. And this is uh, Teddy Hotelling, a great head coach at New Haven. We worked together at Eastern Kentucky. I believe he got this from uh, an NBA buddy of his. So it's simple. You got the offense in the corners. The coach is at the top of the key. The defense starts on the block, and it's two-on-two. The offense fires up, and you hit either guy. Now the defense has a long closeout. and basically. If he drives baseline, he has to throw it back to the coach. You get some defensive um, well, basically we've changed the name to two on two appropriate. So there's when to help, when not to help. And you're working on offensive but also defensive decisions. Because how many times does a guy try to help his, his brother, his teammate, when he didn't need the help? So that constraint of just having two players on the floor, making the making it really hard, long close out, man. That guy, he's gonna be open for a three. So if he's making it, Defense doesn't get a stop, and we do. We do stops in a row like a lot of people. So you might have to get three in a row, which is can be can take you six to eight minutes, and you may never get off. Um, If if there's a bad defender there, that's or a young defender that's still learning. um, Same thing. A shot goes up. You got to close the possession with a rebound. So you're isolating a, a, a block out and a one on one, and having to get a rebound, and that can be tough for a guy. So you know when you minimize the players on the floor, you can expose things. In a major way. And so the constraint is the number of people. And uh, but it's super simple drill. And we um, just hit one guy and play. We might hit the, the guy that we want. There might be by, by the time that we hit February and there's two defenders we're really trying to bring up. We're just going to put them on D until they get a brick, we say. And so by, by February, they may be the only two to play defense before we move to the next segment.
0: Hey coach, I wanted to take a moment to tell you about a product I love and have used with my teams and now with my daughters in our backyard, Dr. Dish. Use promo code Immersion for exclusive savings on any of the machines. Dr. Dish Basketball is accelerating player performance with the most innovative game-like training solution available, allowing coaches and players to get better faster than ever before by providing the most usable and advanced shooting machines, on-demand workouts, multiplayer stat tracking, and instant analytics, Dr. Dish Basketball has become the preferred source for basketball training with progressive coaches and players. A reminder, use promo code Immersion for exclusive savings on any of the machines. And like a constraint, as you're pointing out, can be a scoring system. It can be the number of players. It can be all these different factors that we use. And you talk about a lot of these things uh, being emphasized as small-sided games that provide feedback. And then also these offensive drills for self awareness. And I love both those phrasing. So, can you talk to both those things? Because they reflect what you're talking about right now.
1: Yeah. um, Yeah. I mean, feedback loop is huge. How do you handle the feedback loop, both from players and coaches? And not just did you handle it, but do you seek it out? Do you embrace feedback? I mean, we're still trying to find guys. I mean, those are our kind of guys that um, are proactive about asking questions and being curious about their development and their game. We want to put them in an environment where, the game does the teaching or the game is the bad guy or the drill is the bad guy versus me being the bad guy. And um, I think that's what those drills have the opportunity to do is, okay, we threw it to a bigger guy, let's say two on two appropriate, we threw it to him. He probably should throw it right back. Why did you take two dribbles and get to nowhere? And now you made the other defender, you made it easy on him. So to me right there, by throwing it to him, we're giving him an opportunity you should have boomeranged it right back. And in a game, would you put the ball on the floor? No, you haven't developed that skill or you're not the best option for that. So helping guys understand who they're playing with, who they are, who's guarding them, that's the game. Like there's so many, um, well, there's so many great coaches out there. It's not what we know. It's what can we get our players to understand? And then as players, they revert to who they are under pressure. They revert to their most deeply held habits under pressure, which is game time. Um, and we're trying to get them ready before that crisis hits. The
0: only way to do that is help them get super self-aware and to be able to handle feedback through the course of a season. That's awesome. And, uh, I want, I want to get some more information on some of these games that, uh, you shared with me, uh, maybe ladder game first, cause I think that's a cool concept. Can you explain that?
1: Man, the ladder game. All right. <laughs> now this is more of a camp game, but we have used it with our team, Chris. Mm. I do think you would love it for your stuff, for your, for your guys and your training. We stole it from a soccer coach. We stole it from a soccer coach who does it at the highest level and won some national championships at Messiah, actually, Dave Brandt. All right, we'll name drop him. And I went to, I went to watch Dave, and, and he and I talked about everything, leadership, recruiting. But then I watched him at camp in the summer. And they did this soccer game where basically you're working at driving full speed. So picture two teams. You have a team. I have a team. You're in a line at the baseline. I'm at the line at half court. And there's a coach with the ball, and he throws it to the offense and offense goes full speed, and you sprint out to guard. You with me so far? So it's one-on-one, and if I score, I get one point. All you have to do is get a finger on the ball to reward the defense. So there's your constraint as far. You don't have to get this perfect stop, but I want you to be a ball hawk. I want you to figure out how can you get a finger on the ball. So now you're upping your effort than you would have maybe normally and maybe taking some risks and some chances Making some guesses where we've empowered the defense to just get a finger on that thing, take a chance. Okay. Now, offensively, all I got to do is touch the paint full speed against you coming out at me to be able to throw it back to my teammate, let him get a full head of steam. The second defender comes out. If we score it on that. It's two points because there's two guys. And if he can touch the paint, and maybe he doesn't want to, maybe the guy behind him is, a, is not as good. So maybe we're going to go for this thing right now but that's that's some awareness there too. But hey, we got Buzz Anthony, third guy in line. I got to touch the paint. I got to throw it back. And now Buzz is going and now he pulls up three and there's no way that that guy can get out there in time. Now we got three points or a chance to go offensive rebound. And that's pretty much as simple as it gets. Now, you basically would go offense gets two minutes and then flip it, all right? And now your team gets two minutes on offense and then we build up to maybe four minutes. It is maybe the number one camp favorite drill because think about how many right now these guys are going one-on-one they can go crazy you got your teammates cheering for you some positive peer pressure going on um but can't say enough about that
0: game i I love it and 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 you can see what shines through for you too is in all these different small-sided games or things that you do your principles of play shine through you can always connect it back to when you get a piece of the paint good things happen and then the two foot as well which is obviously a way to be able to teach the fundamentals within the game that you're playing. Yeah.
1: Start and stop, knowing who you are and who's out there on the floor. And then those guys, you know, whether it's running the corners or go screen, I mean, all the different, you know, concepts can come into play. uh, And we can point that stuff out. Listen, it's three on three. Why didn't you get to the corner? Like you're just making it easy for your guy to guard. He's a righty driver. Why didn't you just empty out that side? Um, Or, you know, we'll we'll take your approach and say, what would you do different? You know, same situation. What would you do different to make them really answer it and, and think? And most of the time it's, I don't know, or early on, I'll say, I don't know.
0: All right, let's let's help you see what, what you should be doing. What about the 50 point game when you play five on five? Can you explain that to us? Because I think coaches sometimes struggle with understanding that five on five has so many different variations that we can help shape what we want out of it.
1: 50 point game, Nathan Davis, and, and may have come from even coach not before him, but um, there's a, a constraint or a way to score things. You get five points for a layup, you get uh, one point for every pass. You get two points for twos, three points for threes. There's the scoring. Simple as that. Um, minus five for a turnover. And we can make it, make it take it. So if you're on offense, Chris, and, and you guys have a great team, and you make 10 passes, and then you bang a, get a layup, you might have 15 points, and it's your ball again. Okay? You do that three times, four times, you've won the game. We're playing to 50. Now, what's interesting is when we first do this at the beginning of the year, and I put 10 minutes on the clock, We almost never get to 50. I mean, now we're defensive minded. So, you know, we're we're making everything tough. uh, But it can be really hard. And then any turnover is going to drop you down as well. And, um, but it's, I've learned the longer I do it, how valuable it is to our team. Because what it does for your defense is they start taking more chances. Uh, Let me add the constraint too. When we start this game, you have a live dribble to start. So the point guard can dribble unlimited, fine. But once he gives it up, Zero dribbles to start the year. Now, as they get better, we'll go to one dribble or we'll go to two dribble. But I'll tell you, one thing we put on the board and remind guys at the end of the year is this is a 50-point game. And what it means is these guys are down and they're coming after you, and you, don't, you can't take one or two dribbles. You need to be ball strong. You need to use your pivot game. You need to hit that guy when he's open. Um, so it allows us, again, the language when teams heat us up. And the understanding that well, I don't, I have, I have constraints on my dribble right now because the other team is more athletic,
0: or whatever it is. So I, I know you've you've learned this through your time with using all these small sided games, these point systems that you've adapted. Um, and Rob Gray, who's been on the podcast, uh, talks about this on his podcast. The problem sometimes, let's give an example with a pass constraint, or in this example, a point for a pass, is that your players might tend to overpass because they know they're getting rewarded for it instead of taking advantage of advantage. And I know with your scoring system, you've helped eliminate that. But can you talk to that? Because that is one of the challenges with these point systems.
1: Yeah, well, and it's, I mean, that's great because adversity is a requirement for growth. So there's a challenge. There's adversity. Now it's an opportunity for feedback and teaching. And, And what happens typically is the defense realizes they're not even trying to score. They start heating up the passing lane. They start heating up the ball. And you can't even get to those 15 passes. You know, they're going to be more physical. They understand you're not taking chances. You're not hunting the paint. You're not going, you know, and, and attacking that, uh, going inside with it. So, now, that's if the defense is taking advantage. And there's an opportunity, too, if if you, just go, you guys are just going to let them pass it around the perimeter without any type of resistance. Uh, I mean, I would challenge that defense like crazy because, like, are, are you kidding me? Like, you're just going to let them pass around? You got no fight? All right, we'll just run. Like, I'm getting fired up just there. I'm getting fired. up just thinking about it, Chris. Like, how can you
0: just let them pass it? Well, I am curious with that part, coach. Like, do you, did you initially sit back and kind of like, it gives you an opportunity to be able to ask the question of the defense, like you just said, instead of giving them the answer, you can stop and say, Hey, wait a minute. They're not trying to score. How should you adjust on defense? Right. It should be yeah. your solution that you figure out, not me helping you. A- absolutely. And we'll still have the shot clock too. So mm-hmm. you can talk like the
1: other thing, the point to make to your team is, all right, yeah, great. You got you got 10 points from passing it around, but why not get a quick layup and you're less tired and you got another possession? So there's a lot of good for um you, you just got to look for it because 10 passes in a turnover is you're right, right back to five. Whereas that layup gives you an easy one. And then what we start to do is, you know, really the point guard, like driving hard at at, at one guy, and maybe you get the back door. All right. And then if you don't get that. Now we can get into some type of ball screen or ghost game because, again, we haven't made a pass. So the, the ball handler, who's usually our best ignition guy, gets two opportunities to really hunt the paint, touch the paint, and get us a quality look, too. So there's a lot about who can get us a quality look and where is the advantage? Um, you know, king, queen, who has the advantage in this scenario
0: and who's going to take advantage of it? Well, and of note for coaches is that, again, when you're doing these, you'll find a way. you'll find some players that learn how to take advantage of your point system or your small-sided game constraints. And those players should be rewarded because that's smart when they figure out how to take advantage of it, because it challenges you now to come up with something that they can't take advantage of, right?
1: Oh, hundred 100%. I mean, we got those guys too that, um, you know, that's when you're like, all right, th- th- these guys are playing the drill. Here's the next thing that we're gonna add to it. <laughs> um, You know, there's plenty of that, but but I do, but you're right, until they take advantage, you know, you, you leave things as they are. You know, the other one is this three-on-three NBA ultimate. Um, which basically is like full court, zero dribbles. And it's one of my favorite ones, especially early in the year. And it's such a tough one conditioning wise. You know, if you play to two scores, those guys are, some of those guys are dead. I mean, some of those guys borderline are quitting on their teammates and you want to expose that too. But that zero dribble, I'm, I'm reminded, if I went back to coach youth tomorrow, you know, there's certain levels that, that aren't ready for that. But as soon as they are, it's one of the best things to help your pivot game, your passing game. What what shot should you take? Because if you don't take it, you're not going to get one. Um, Anyways, just as we were talking, that's another one of my
0: favorites. I love that. I love that you're sharing all these. Thank you so much. Uh, So many coaches will be excited to hear some of these. And, uh, you know, I know we started with defense talking about the closeout and I love that individual differences. But another phrasing that I took from you, especially defensively, and you guys are an outstanding defensive program. Uh, Rule number one, keep the ball in front, and rule number two, pressure as much as possible without violating rule number one. How simple is that? That's tremendous phrasing.
1: Yeah, well, that's a Mike Rhodes-ism right there, and um, it's as simple as that. Yep, I'm fortunate to, you know, again, um, be mentored under those guys. But ball pressure is a big deal for us, and I don't care how unathletic, you know, sometimes guys are are, are given an out, and they get to settle for less than what they're capable of. For us, we define ball pressure and no different from other coaches. I know everybody probably does the same, but it's basically either making that guy put it on the floor or making him turn his back. So what happens early in the year is, you know, guys think they're on the ball and that guy's just standing there looking, you know, scanning the floor. And it's like, you're there, but you're not there. You're applying zero ball pressure. Ball pressure is you make that guy bounce it or you make him turn his back. And so you got to figure out how to do that. We're okay with that guy putting it on the floor. That's trusting the help behind you. Then you got to figure out how to do it without getting beat too, though. You know, and that's, that's what we're constantly striving for. And that's why we do a lot of that one-on-one and
0: two-on-two to help guys figure it out for themselves versus who they're playing. Well, and it's, again, it speaks to individual differences that, yes, we want ball pressure, but you got to figure out what level you can do that out at without getting beat, right? Are there any other things in your program that, uh, you know, you really value individual differences? You talked about the closeout, talked about ball pressure. What are some other things?
1: Um, well, just I mean, we, we talk a ton about playing the strengths. I mean, that we have a pro style offense that's going to take advantage of your unique strengths. I think seeing guys uniquely both in their game, but also in their personalities. Uh, I mean, one of my favorite things, Chris, is um, I haven't given a pregame talk in over three years, maybe four years now. So it's finding a guy that does, so I will put the bullets on the board. Everybody's got their offensive and defensive bullets. We go with five. Um, you know, my assistant will talk personnel. And then we turn it over to, this year was David Funderburg, our senior. David talks about the defense. And then he turns it over to Ian Robertson. Ian talks about the offense. Seeing those guys find their voice, get so much more confident and engaged and taking ownership for the process. It's like we're speaking the same language. Uh, By the end of it, I could put some initials up there. And those guys are like, you know, know exactly what what I want to say and are probably saying it better and connecting it to the the team even better than I would. that, that's been a fun, fun
0: way to approach it. So that's great. So so you literally don't say anything after that?
1: No, I say couldn't say it better myself. And <laughs> no, we'll bring Let's it. Let's go.
0: <laughs> so talk to us. How do you prepare those players to 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 be effective in those moments? Is somebody working with them to make sure they understand uh, what to say, how to say, or is it just through the week of practice you trust them that they will know it?
1: I think it's the three years before. And I think that, that, man, all the huddles and all the opportunities for them to speak up in a film session um, allows them to find their voice well before that senior year before I appoint them to do it. Um, And shoot, Buzz Anthony, who's going to be a future stud of a coach, he's he's talked so much that he's like, I want some other guys to find that voice. So he's like turning it over um, so that we can get some other guys. And and I think it does wonders. I think I think it was awesome for those guys. It was really neat to see Ian. Who um, not the most confident in front of the room? Really, by the end of the year, find a, you know find this great confidence in how in his
0: approach and his voice. You referenced it before. And I can't remember the player, but you referenced one of your players that wasn't as vocal. But again, how do you create leaders? You put them in leadership situations. It's not magic, right? And that's what you do with these players in these situations. Are there any other examples in your program where you put them in leadership situations that we haven't talked about?
1: Oh, well, I would say probably a ton of them, and we won't have time to kind of. Um, hit all of them, but let's say hero highlight hardship. I, I know we took it from UVA, Tony Bennett, um, the connection, the vulnerability that that brings, you know, just telling their story. So we did that a couple years ago and then we'll have each of the freshmen, maybe, you know, you don't do it every year because you don't want it to become stale or stagnant. Um, but there's one, we've got our leadership language. We have guys read a book over the summer. Chris, this is something we've started recently. I always wanted to read readers are leaders, learners or earners, we say, and then they come back and they present it you know, they just present it. So it's like finding a book, you know, again, the teacher is um, learns the most, you know, and like you're reading that book a little more closely when you know, you have to stand up in front of your brothers and deliver a message that can add some value and help them in their growth. Um, So that I mean, just to name a few, probably what, what, what we do.
0: Coach, I mean, so many insights. This has been tremendous to uh, talk to you. And uh, just just as we wrap it up, what, what are some other takeaways from the journey from building the program into a championship program? Now that you are today.
1: Oh man, I mean, if, if I'm going back, um, you know, we, we've said those who stay will be champions, and um, I, I would say, like like I mentioned, everyone sees the success right now. What they don't see is the the big time failures that we had early on um, as a program and. I've got great continuity of staff Uh, two of my staff members have been with me since we've been here that's seven years now together and that was huge for winning um again the connection from the players and coaches before us uh has been huge we feel like we're standing on the shoulders of those guys but i would say man three years not making the tournament created this fire in certainly in me and then in in our guys that um we we are gonna focus on every possession the importance of it um we're going to be so good that we don't need to win an ODAK tournament to get an at-large. Possibly, um, now that's still going to happen in future years, but it, but it did. Um, you got to go through some things. Uh, adversity is a requirement for growth. And man, we were in, the, we were in the pit. We were in that developmental pit and that cauldron. Um, but with the right guys, the guys that you can lose with, um, we uh, we we fought to get our way out of it. And that's what I would say to coaches. And young coaches embrace those failures. You know, we say you're either winning or you're learning. Try to eliminate that losing language. Although it does pay to be a winner. Um, I'm I'm as proud of how we won this year as the winning. And um, you know, we say pressure is a privilege, but we never felt like we had any pressure on us this year because it was just all about. uh, It wasn't about outcomes. Um, Even though we had some good ones, it was about our process and uh, how we were going to go about our business and. Uh, one thing we would say is we're going to figure this thing out, you know, growth mindset better than the other team. And for over 40 minutes, our habits will win out. I thought that just empower guys, no panic mentality. Um, and, you know, they believe that. And and obviously we had to work really hard to get to that uh, level of confidence. Um, but that's, that's what I would say is kind of embracing those failures, knowing that it can get you to something greater when everyone stays committed and, and to your core values and things like that. And Um, Chris, before we wrap up too, man, I I have to shout you out because I've been a long time listener. You've added a ton of value to our program. And so you've had a hand in some of our success and so many others, but you make, uh, you, you make us coaches look better. Your preparation, how you attack these interviews. I'm not blowing smoke here. Your passion for the game and your curiosity needs to be celebrated. And um, I'm grateful for you. Like I said, like The only bad thing about me spending time on this interview is that it's taken away from me learning something. (laughs) Uh, But but I even thought, man, he's going to ask something that makes me think about our program differently that we can use. And so I'm really grateful for you having me on.
0: I'm humbled that you say that, Coach, and uh, grateful to be able to connect with you. And I look forward to uh, learning more from you through the years. But uh, Coach, congratulations. National champions. That's awesome. (laughs) Thank you so much, Chris. Yep. Have a great one. Thank you for listening to the Basketball Podcast. Learn more from some of the best coaches in the world at ImmersionVideos.com. At ImmersionVideos.com, our unwavering commitment to you is to offer the tools necessary for you to be an outstanding coach who values learning and seeks to evolve. If you're a better coach now than you were yesterday, we've done our job, and so have you. The goal is to focus on authentic sharing of resources you can use to help your players and teams improve. Drills, tactics, techniques, philosophies, practice, design, and so much more will be shared from numerous coaches, including Nate Oates, Doug Novak, Aaron Fern, Dave Smart, and so many more to come. Go to immersionvideos.com now to check out all the products and follow at Immersion Videos on Twitter to keep up to date. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the basketball podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things basketball immersion, Subscribe to our newsletter at slash newsletter.